So we're in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read again um, like we've been doing from verse 9 through verse 13 in what is often called the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. Jesus is preaching and He says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And today we're going to be focusing on verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This is God's word. Let's pray now that God would would bless the reading of his word. Father, I pray that you will come now and and take this word and teach us that we would glean from this and grow from this. We, We come to you as your sheep and this is the food that you have given us. And so I pray that we will just uh, be able to chew on this um, and, and just, just suck all the flavor out of it, so to speak. I pray that your spirit would come now. Help me to deliver this message. Um, as, I, as I always say, that if your spirit doesn't come, this is a dead sermon. And so I need your spirit to help me now as I, as I teach your word. And, and I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You guys can have a seat. And we'll look at this. So we have this this fourth petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Now if you're using an ESV Bible or maybe other Bibles too. that Mine has a footnote at the bottom. It says, or give us this day our bread for tomorrow. And as I was studying this week, I found out that more than a few scholars have weighed in on on what this means. And the debate falls around this word daily. Um, Epiusion in the Greek, it's used here and in Luke's gospel only. Nowhere else in scripture, nowhere else in secular Greek literature. It's almost as if this word was invented for this very purpose. And so... We're kind of left with trying to figure out what this word means based on the context, based on other words that it looks like. Um, and, I, and I think the best, the, the best conclusion is give us this day our daily bread. Now, either way, it's not going to change the meaning of, of the petition. And this is the way I think of it. Um, it might help you. If you get up in the morning and you're praying before you get your day started, you'll say, give me this day or give us this day our daily bread. If you're praying at nighttime before you go to sleep, You've already made it through the day, so maybe you'll pray, give us this day our bread for tomorrow. That's, that kind of has helped me think through this. But like I said, either way, it doesn't really change the meaning of, of the verse. Now, as you can see, we've changed directions in the prayer at this point. Um, we've spent five weeks unpacking the first half of the prayer, and now we're kind of crossing the crest and moving down into the second half of the prayer. Now, I know when we started and we were looking at the structure of this prayer, I counted out seven petitions. Uh, The more that I've studied, I think I'm leaning more towards the camp that says there are six petitions rather than seven, but that doesn't doesn't really matter. We've, We've looked at three, and we have three more to go, starting with today. Now we we move, as you read this, you can see that we're moving from a focus on God specifically and all He is to ourselves. Now this sets up a great point that 
we all should understand that everybody, if you're taking notes, write this down or just remember this, that only when we have properly understand who God is and all of his attributes and his divine nature, can we properly understand who we are? It always starts with God. And you can pick up um, any theology book, any systematic theology, any uh, a book that unpacks the gospel or any gospel outline. And they're all going to start with God. The nature and the character of God. And only when we understand who God is can we move to ourselves and properly understand who we are. This shows clearly in the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God. Starts with God and we have to start with God. Every thought, every law of science, every foundational truth that governs the universe starts with God. And you, you'll learn, you'll, you've probably heard people say this, that, well, there has to be a creator God because if the earth was one inch closer to the sun, it would burn up. And if it was one inch further away, it would freeze. And that's true, but that almost sounds like God got out his tape measure and said, okay, we've got to put this here and put this here and put the earth right here. And that's not how it happened. It started with God. He made it. And then we come along and say, oh, now we've discovered melting points. Now we've discovered hot and cold. Now we know what inches and miles are based around what God has set forth. And, and even in creation. So it all starts with God. And only when we come to a correct understanding of who God is will we be able to properly identify who we are in relation to Him and in relation to others. And this shows through in this prayer. We've seen this in the past five weeks. Once we've spent time in adoration of God, then we move to ourselves. And we understand that God is our Father. Our Father. That He's transcendent. He's in the heavens. That He is holy. Hallowed be Your name. That He's ruler over all. Your kingdom come. He works all things and is sovereign over all things. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Only when we get all that and much more, there, there's way more, can we move to ourselves. And we have to, we have to know that. That we, all, we always should start with God. Now, if you take some time to understand or notice some of the subtleties in this prayer, it will humble you. And I found that as I've studied... This prayer that many of us have heard over and over and over. We've heard this prayer. We know this prayer. And we find out these little things that maybe we've never studied. And it's just like, man, this tiny prayer is huge. I mean, it covers everything in our lives. For example, last week, I started off in the introduction by showing the logical progression in the first half. Um, as we deal with God, we start with his fatherhood and then we see his transcendence and then we see his his holiness and then we see that he is mighty as kingship and then we see his sovereignty over all things. And this is a progression as we study God's dominion and how and his dominion comes into a fuller reality on the earth and in our hearts and our minds. So we got this progression. Now, you would think. That as we progress and we, we take ourselves, we, we lift ourselves high into the heavens and we're studying this vast, high and mighty nature of the spiritual God that we would just kind of hop over and begin to study our spiritual selves as we relate to God. Our spiritual nature on this lofty level, the loftiest that we can get. But then we see, as soon as we move to ourselves, that that's not the case. That's not what happens. It's actually the opposite. 
We've exalted God to the heights of his sovereign reign. And then we have to come all the way back down to the bottom of the barrel, so to speak, to our most basic, lowly human needs. Bread. And that's what this is. We spent five weeks in the heavens, so to speak, lofty. We're talking about the nature of God and we've barely scratched the surface. And then we have to come all the way back down. You can imagine uh, somebody parachuting down, down, down to our spiritual nature. Nope. Down, down, down. Or maybe to our mental ascent as we think of God. Nope. Down, down, down. All the way down to our most basic physical needs, those things that we have to have simply to sustain existence, or should say subsistence. I mean, just the bare minimum to keep us alive. And that's what this is. It's the basics. It's bread, the stuff that our puny human minds or our human bodies need for survival. We're, We're flesh and blood. If we don't have these things, we're done. That's where we're we're moving. Now, we're going to get to the mental and the spiritual. Next week, we're asking for the forgiveness of our debts so that we can be mentally cleared of our sins, our infractions towards God and other people. And then after that, we'll move to our spiritual standing with God and our proclivity to fall into temptation and sin. But before those things come, we have to cover our physical needs because without the physical... There is no mental. There is no spiritual. There would be no need to pray for those things if we're not breathing, if we're not pumping blood. And so that's where we are. The basics of human life. And that's what this petition is doing. In this petition, we are praying that God would supply for us the most basic physical needs that we have. And that's what's meant by bread. We'll go into more detail in a minute. The bare necessities. The things without which we will die. You understand that you have. there are things outside of yourself that if you don't have them, you're dead. You will die. You won't exist. And we're asking God to provide those things. So I want to start off with the, the subject of this petition. That way we kind of know what we're talking about in the petition. And then we'll unpack the rest of the sermon of what we're, what we're talking about that subject. And that is the subject of daily bread. Like I said, this word daily is kind of hard to translate, but the general idea is that we're asking God for the bread for this day. We aren't thinking way ahead or planning way into the future or stocking up. We're we're talking about today. And there are actually several warnings in Scripture about stocking up, planning way ahead, having too much, because it leads us as human beings to forget about God. And I'll look at that in a minute. We're asking... For our daily bread. The bread that comes daily. Fairly simple. A great picture of this is seen in the Old Testament. You probably remember the the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness and God provided for them manna. Bread from heaven. And the rule was, go out and get your manna just enough for today. If you gather any more, it will spoil. Just enough for today. And on Friday, of course, they could gather double so that they wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath. And what God was teaching them was how to live daily in faith. And the warnings came as they were about to move into the promised land. They were going to have all they needed. They weren't going to have to rely on this bread from heaven. Now the word bread here, 
doesn't just mean actual bread, like a slice of bread or a loaf of bread. Um, now, for us, it's a little different than it was in Jesus' day, but we can kind of understand this. You know, we have diets where we just cut out bread. Bread is, is so common to us that it's almost forgotten. We take chicken and bread it and fry it. We, I mean, you can deep fry bread anything and deep fry it. Candy bars, ice cream, everything that's breaded. We kind of just gloss over bread. When Jesus' day... Bread was a big deal. Oftentimes, it would be a main course for a meal. In Genesis 18, you remember some of you, that uh, God Himself and two angels visited Abraham at his home. And Abraham said, okay, well, I'll go get you some, some, a morsel of bread so that you can rest. Well, he runs back in the house and tells his wife, Sarah, to make cakes of bread. Get the bread ready. And they had a lamb also, but it was, he was specific. A morsel of bread turned into cakes of bread. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, speaking about the promised land and the great bounty of food that would be there, we read that it is a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. It's a big deal to them. Bread was important. It's common in our day, so common that we usually just gloss over it. Now in Bible times and even today, bread, the word for bread is often symbolic of the basic necessities needed to sustain our physical existence. To say bread back then is like we say food. They said bread. This is why we, we have a person in the household who works and makes the, the majority of the money maybe. And they come home and that money is used to pay the bills, buy the groceries. And we call them the breadwinner. The bread they're not, they don't go out and come back with a prize. I won the loaf of bread. No, we just call them that because we're saying they have gone out and made the money that we'll be able to pay for our necessities. In Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, this will be up here. It says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now you see, the writer here is asking the same thing as this prayer is. It's the same idea. He's not asking for, for riches, to be lavish with riches. And he's not saying, make me poor as if that's more spiritual. He just says, give me what I need for today. And we see that he's saying, if you give me more, I might forget who you are and say, who is the Lord? So we're simply asking for the basics for human life. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, writes of this petition. It is the prayer of a lowly and contented mind. So that is to say, a person who is humble before the Lord and content with the basics can pray this prayer. And of course, in light of... Reformation Day this past week, I have to quote John Calvin. He rewords this prayer like this. O Lord, since our life needs every day new supplies, may it please Thee to grant them to us without interruption. He's saying, every day we have some things that we need and we would like for You to supply those needs for us. An ancient Jewish petition is very similar to this one. It says, Lord... The necessities of thy people Israel are many and their knowledge small, so that they know not how to disclose their necessities. 
Let it be thy good pleasure to give to every man what sufficeth for food. So that is to say, God, we have a lot of needs and we're not really even smart enough to tell you what they are. So we're going to put it in your hands to give us what we need. So in essence, we're asking God for the basics. We're not asking to be lavish with riches. We're not asking to be poor. We aren't taught to be seeking after wealth. As a matter of fact, those who want those things, wealth and riches, are in a dangerous position based on Scripture. 1 Timothy 6, 8-10 through 10 says, But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So you see there, be content with the basics. Don't desire more. Notice in those verses that being rich is contrasted with having food and clothes. Wanting more than that is a dangerous place to be in. There's nothing wrong with going, working, making money, paying your bills. Nothing wrong with that. It's when our minds and our hearts desire to be rich. And the desire to be rich is what drives us to work. What drives us to make our decisions. Desiring to be rich, that's where the sin comes in. And if it's left unaddressed, this could lead people to hell because they would rather have riches than have Jesus. Another thing about this idea of bread, the basic necessities, is that God is the one who defines that, not us. We don't get to say, well, this is what I need and this is what I need. We're leaving it up to God because we've all played, you know, the whole, if you were stranded on a desert island, what would you take? And we're like, well, I've got to have my iPad, my iPod, my, my cell phone. We don't need that stuff. We think we do. Well, I've got to have, can't live without Netflix, got to have that. Um, got to have my... If you, you let God tell you what you need, it's up to Him to define this. He knows exactly what you need, and he, he will take care of that. As a matter of fact, in teaching us to pray this way, we'll find out something very important. God actually cares about your basic physical needs. Jesus wouldn't teach us to pray this unless God was actually interested in our needs. And that is huge that this... Father God, we've spent five weeks talking about Him. It's Father God whose name is to be hallowed among the nations, whose kingdom has no end, whose will will be carried out in the heavens and on the earth. That same God is concerned that you get fed on a daily basis. He's concerned. He cares. And that's a big deal. So that's what's meant by daily bread. A basic physical needs. Okay, so go back to the beginning of the verse now. We know we're talking about bread, so the first word is give. Now we talked about what a petition is, and we see the word give. What this is, is we are asking God, God, give us this day our daily bread. Now we come to this, and if we're honest, we read through this, and this oftentimes seems like the most unnecessary of the petitions. Now we understand we need God's help in spiritual matters. We understand we want God's kingdom to come through the spread of the gospel. 
But asking for bread, I mean, that's just a little less than us. Usually, I've got more important things to pray for than, than bread. Now, don't get me wrong. We, most of us pray before a meal. But that's when the food is there. It's sitting down in front of us. Thank you, God, for this food. That's great, and we should do that. But I would assume that most of us rarely, if ever, actually ask God to give us our food and our most basic Necessities before the fact. Because we usually just don't see this as a prayer request. We don't think about this. I'm going to step out on a limb and say that that fact, that truth, that we oftentimes don't think of this as a prayer request, is the very reason that this petition is so important. The very reason we have to know this. Namely, because we act like it's just a given. We act like it should be there. It's beneath us to ask for this things or these kind of things. God... Get my grandmother out of the hospital. Get me to heaven. I'll take care of the food. I'll work my job. I can make the money if you'll just get me to heaven. We may not say that, but the way that we pray, our attitude says that. Because we don't ask. We act like it's a given. The truth is, asking for our food for the day is not that big of a deal to us. And that's a problem. We're taught to ask God for our daily necessities for physical life. And the reason we ask... Is because if it were not for the grace of God, we wouldn't have it. It's only from Him. And God has been so gracious and so faithful to all of us so long, we have just gotten used to it. We come to expect it. We come to live with an attitude almost of entitlement, like God owes us food and necessities for all the work we've done for Him. Surely He's going to keep me alive because He needs me to preach next week. Hey, God does not need any of us. He doesn't need us. It's grace. But we have this attitude of entitlement. And God doesn't owe us this. We're taught this petition so that we will learn to acknowledge and make a habit of acknowledging that God is the giver of our most basic physical needs. God is the one who gives us food and water. He gave that to you. There are... Well, another thing that I notice in this... In this word give, that also pertains to us asking God, is just that. We are asking. We're not demanding that God give us our bread. We are asking. There are many today who are blinded by a false theology of entitlement. And the scariest part about this theology is that they don't stop with food. They move on to prosperity Riches, lavish lifestyles. And they teach that because you are a Christian, you should expect these things. That God owes you these things. Anybody in here a Christian? Anybody in here lavish with riches and, lost and, and, and all these things? There's obviously a problem here. Based on the world's standards, there's a problem with that theology. Now, they may not come right out and say it, although some do. Some say, you stand in front of the mirror, you affirm yourself, and you say, God, I want this and this and this, and He'll give it. Some say that, but others are a little more subtle, and they teach that you just, you, you speak certain things, you name certain things, you want certain things, you have enough faith, and God is obligated by some imaginary rule to give you these things. Like children who grow up spoiled in a rich home and then when they get out in the real world, they expect that everything will be handed to them. And it's so far from biblical theology, it's so far from a true understanding of who God is, 
so far from a, a biblical understanding of who you are as you stand in relation to God that I am fearful that these people are worshiping a false god. They've invented it. It's made up. The Bible says the false gods are actually demons disguised as angels of light. If you believe in a God who owes you things, who, who is obligated to give you things, health, wealth, prosperity, simply because you said it or because you had enough faith, you believe in a false God. That's not the God of the Bible. It's a made up God and you'll follow that demon to hell unless you repent and worship the true God. That's not free grace. That's a barter system. That's how Walmart works. I give you money, you give me stuff. God doesn't work like that. I give you faith, you give me this. Or I, I, I believe enough and you give me this. That's not how it works. That's not free grace. There are people all over the world, sadly, who are fed this name it, claim it, word faith, prosperity, heresy by false teachers. And studies show that the, the types of people who are drawn to this, drawn to these satanic Bible twisters, are the less educated that's why this false teaching is exploding in Africa right now. Because you've got a continent of mostly poor, uneducated, lost people who want to be rich. They want to have health and all these things. And these teachers show up and they say, hey, if you'll simply sow a seed offering to my ministry, God will make you healthy. God will make you wealthy just like he did me. It's nowhere taught in scripture. And these Money-grubbing televangelists live lives of luxury. You've probably seen it on TV, Preachers of L.A. They, they, they live these lives of luxury, paid for by money, earned over the broken backs of the poor and the weak and the ignorant. And if there's any place in Scripture that tells you exactly how you come to God, it's this one. We come asking, not demanding, for our basic needs. In Philippians 4... 19 through 20 we read, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now in that passage, Paul is telling the Christians in Philippi in light of, not because of, in light of their gifts to His ministry, that God will supply every need of theirs according to His riches in Jesus. And then verse 20 shows us the ultimate goal. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to your, His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And then He lights into this short but deep doxology, this worship song. To God, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. That's another reason that we are taught to ask for our daily bread. God has designed it this way. So that we have to come to Him. And when we receive those physical needs. We worship. We praise. It was you God not me. You made my bones and my muscles work. So that I could keep my job. You woke me up this morning. You gave me breath. You gave me food. It's all yours. Glory to our God and Father. It's worship. It's not because we had enough faith. It's not because we tithed enough. Or, or sowed enough seeds to some ministry. It's because our God is rich in mercy toward us. He's a gracious God. And we say glory to our God and Father. So we're asking. Next. 
I want to note the plural nature of this petition. Notice the use of plural pronouns, us and our. Now we've already spent one week talking about this Uh, The plurality of this prayer. And I hope we understand full well the implications of these pronouns. Namely, you are not in this alone. You are not expected to be rogue and do it by yourself. We're in this together. We pray without ceasing and we pray in unison with one another. We live daily in the, the wake or the shadow of the universal church. We think locally, but we also think globally. And so we pray that way. We, as this is a part of and, and one of the benefits of a local church. We need you and you need us. We're not alone. We're not by ourselves. We're praying together. Give us our daily bread. And that is for God's people. This prayer is for God's people. Christ is teaching His disciples, Christians, how to pray in contrast to the pagan Gentiles. In in contrast to the religious hypocrites. God's people pray differently. God's people ask for their daily bread. God's people know that their requests from God are for the basics of human life. Born again believers. Citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Christians. God's people are the ones who pray this prayer. As a matter of fact, I would think that the more mature a believer becomes, the easier this type of praying gets. It becomes more and more natural. The closer that we grow to Christ and grow in our relationship to Christ, the less attractive the things of the world become. It's like the song says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Thoughts of of luxuries and riches don't even enter the minds of mature believers. The things of this world have grown strangely dim. It's odd for the Christian. They, They think that it's strange. They almost sometimes have a desire. I wish I could see the things that draw your attention. I wish I could understand your infatuation with the world. But I just don't get it. It's because I'm looking at Jesus. I'm enthralled with this and all these things have grown strangely dim. A mature believer says, just give me enough to get me through the day, Father. If that's your will, just get me through the day. And that's enough. And, and I, I pray that God makes me that way because I'm not there. I am not there. We go, I look on the television, I go to the mall, I see cars and all these things. And it's just all these things in my head. It would be cool to drive that. It would be cool to live there. It would be cool to wear that. And I, and I hate that the things of this world pull constantly. But as a, a Christian matures, they grow closer to the Lord. They don't salivate over The things of this world over health and wealth and prosperity. God's people aren't enthralled with the same things that the lost world is enthralled with. You can ask anybody, anybody, would you like to be rich? Yes. Would you like to be healthy? Yes. Would you like to be wealthy and prosperous? Yes. Everybody wants that. Why would God only offer his people the same thing everybody wants? He doesn't. God's people don't think that way. They're enthralled with Christ. And they're content that apart from Christ, just give me the necessities. Just get me through the day. If it's your will, if it's not your will, bring me home. I'm ready. That's how the mature believer thinks. God's people think this way. 
The Bible teaches that not only do God's people ask for the basic necessities, but also that God will provide those things for His people. Absolutely will. Psalm 37, 25 says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. David says, in essence, I've been on the earth a long time and I've seen a lot of things. But one thing I have never seen, I've never seen one of God's people go without. I've never seen one of God's people begging for food. It's because God takes care of his people. Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 33 says, is Jesus preaching still? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. That's what he's saying. The lost world looks after those things. Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now we're going to study that in the future. But I think it's pretty clear. Jesus says seek the kingdom of God. Seek the righteousness from God. And He'll take care of everything else. You don't even have to worry about it. He's got it. God's people are taken care of. Maybe it's only your most basic needs, but He takes care of those things. That's all He's promised. We shouldn't expect any more. And if we're honest, we all have vastly more than we need. Far more than we need because God is so gracious to us. So we, God's people, are asking, not demanding, that God give us this day. Our daily bread. This day. This is important for us. It's important because when we realize what God has promised and what we are taught to pray for, we grow. We are sanctified through the understanding of this passage. We grow in our appreciation for God and in our faith in God by pondering just this thought. Give us this day. He doesn't say give us yesterday. Our daily bread. Now, not only would that sound silly and not make a whole lot of sense, but imagine the implications of that thought. That here I am on Sunday praying for the needs of Saturday as if God hadn't provided them. I would be under the impression that God didn't provide my basic needs. Now, we have to be released from the constraints of time and space to ponder this, I know. But if God had not provided our most basic physical needs on Saturday, we would not be alive on Sunday. So the fact that you can say, give me this day or give us this day our daily bread, means that God did get you through yesterday. He got you here. So you can pray this only because God was faithful yesterday. He got you through it. Now this, it seems so simple. Duh. But how often do you stop and say, God... Thank you for feeding me yesterday. Thank you for giving me clothes. How often do we ponder that? I'm alive today. I made it today. That means God was faithful yesterday. We take these things for granted, but this petition is worded in such a way so that we don't forget. God got you through yesterday. And we grow in our appreciation for God as we learn to acknowledge His faithfulness. Think about how many yesterdays you have. I have approximately 9,951 yesterdays. Now you want to talk about singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing? Just count the days that you've lived. Everyone is a blessing from the grace of God to wake up and see His, His sunshine, His creation. He's lavishing us with grace. And how often do we take the time to say thank you for my yesterdays? So not only are we in some strange way 
taught to pray for yesterday, but we aren't told to pray for tomorrow or the next day or six weeks from now. Jesus teaches us to ask God for the bread for today. Now that takes faith. It takes strong faith. This stretches our faith if we actually think about what this is teaching. But most of us are so self-consumed, so consumed with worry, that we don't even notice that we're worrying. We don't notice how much faith God is asking you to have. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Just don't even worry. It's God will take care of your basic physical needs. And if He doesn't, that means He's decided it's time for you to come home. And He'll take care of that. So we don't act like, well, God's going to be out of the office tomorrow, so I better go ahead and make sure that, he, that I ask Him for my bread for tomorrow. We don't act as though, well, something might come up and maybe I can't pray, so I had better ask for a little extra. No, we don't do that. We live by faith. We ask for today's necessities today. And then we let God take care of tomorrow if and when that time comes. Our attitude is that of those who live literally hand to mouth. Everything that we have goes straight from God's hands to us. It's gracious gifts. And our faith is strengthened when we meditate on this. We appreciate God contemplating our yesterdays. And we trust God Contemplating tomorrow. Now, all of that comes quite natural. Like I said, when we have a proper view of God and then we move to ourselves. The God of the Bible is the just and gracious creator of all things. He owns all things, governs all things, and upholds all things. He's holy, righteous, good, and kind. He's also a God of righteous wrath against sin and sinners. He's the judge of all the earth. And at the same time, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. That's who we're talking about. We, on the other hand, are just sinful humans. We learn this in the Beatitudes. That we we come to God seeking and asking. We have nothing to offer God. Nothing. He's not served by human hands. We have nothing to barter or trade with Him that He doesn't already own outright. We we can't earn or deserve our daily bread. We can't buy it. We are at the mercy of God to give us these things. And it's in His very nature, we said a couple weeks ago, to be merciful to whom He will be merciful. That means He dispenses mercy and grace, or we could add in there daily bread, To whom He will, according to the counsel of His will, not because you've done something to earn it or deserve it. It's not even because you had enough faith. It's simply a gift from the free grace of the sovereign God to poor sinners. Every bite you eat. God has provided all things for us to enjoy. That includes our daily bread. That includes the basic necessities of food. He created us and He could have made us to to grow and thrive in any way He saw fit. We could be like plants who have to get in the sunshine and rely on photosynthesis to make us grow. But He didn't do that. He gave us intestinal tracts and taste buds so that we would enjoy food And we would worship Him for it. He gets the glory. He created plants and nuts and fruits for us to eat. He created animal meat so that when we grill it just right and we put it in our mouths, the juices come out on our tongues. And if you're like me, last night I experienced it again. 
Praise the Lord for gift cards. We cringe almost at that taste. When that juice comes out, if you don't like a a good medium or medium rare steak, that juice comes out. And I understand that it's probably just a lot of blood, but it is so good. And God made that. He invented that so that we would say, praise God for His wisdom and His grace and His mercy toward us. It's all free grace so that we will acknowledge Him. And worship Him and praise Him. And so we'll be thankful for it. So don't forget, as you live daily and in this world, as you sit at home, as you go out with friends, you fellowship with your church family, maybe even today for lunch, don't forget that God is the provider of all good things. Every bite, even down to our most basic physical needs. Enjoy food. Enjoy clothing. They are gifts from God. So worship God in your eating habits. Worship God in your clothing choices. As Christians, we should be a people who are set apart by the way we enjoy the things God provides for us. Being a Christian doesn't mean you can't enjoy anything. It doesn't mean, oh, now I'm a Christian. I've got to be boring and just hate life for the, for, until I die. No, it means we enjoy it all the more and we worship God. He gets the glory for our enjoyment. So you leave from here. Enjoy those things. As you proclaim the gospel of Jesus... You are proclaiming the lordship of a God who cares about the basic necessities of his people. He provides us with our physical needs. He's a God who is interested in the details. He's a God who teaches us and wants us to acknowledge him so that he receives the glory and the honor that he deserves. Acknowledge God as your provider. I've already used that that name of God that we hear often, Jehovah Jireh. It means Yahweh, our provider, or the God who provides, or God will see to it. Very common. There are songs written about this name of God. You've probably heard them. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. His grace is sufficient for me. For me. For me. His grace is sufficient for me. There's songs about it. Did you know that that's only used one time in Scripture? There's only one place in the Bible where it refers to God in this way. And I couldn't help but add this in here. In Genesis 22, one of the most popular stories in the Old Testament about Abraham and Isaac. The story of the sacrifice of Isaac. God provided a ram for the sacrifice instead of Abraham's son. And because of that provision, God called that mountain Mount Moriah. Or the mountain where God provided or where God sees to it. Now that ram was simply a foreshadowing of the day when God would make the greatest provision that mankind has ever known in that same area. It's very likely that it was on that same mountain almost 2,000 years later where God provided not a ram in the stead of Isaac, but a lamb in the stead of all of God's people to be slain, to pay the debt for our sins and reconcile us back to God our Father. He provided His own Son Jesus to make the greatest provision we've ever known. Without this provision, we would be without the grace of God. We would be standing before God to be punished for eternity. Jesus was in our stead. That was our cross. God provided His Son to die for our sins. So we should be thankful that God provides all of our most basic physical needs. But that He's also provided our greatest spiritual need in His Son. So don't forget as you eat, 
as you drink, as you get dressed, as you experience all that God has created, that God provided you those things. He gave them for you to enjoy. Don't forget to ask God daily for those things as an act of worship, acknowledging that He is the one, He and He alone can give those things. Don't forget about all those basic provisions, all those wonderful graces of God. And don't forget that they were won for you by the death of God's Son on the cross. He paid for all of that grace for us. All of these things that we have need of are only pleasures in the shadow of the cross. That's it. The world thinks they're enjoying creation. As Christians, we can really enjoy it the way we were intended to. So as a Christian, you should enjoy those things and worship God. If you're not a Christian, you have to understand that we are all, everyone in this room is a fallen sinner, subject to the wrath of God. We stand to be judged. We deserve death. But God provided His own Son in our place. And so now, if you will repent of your sin and trust in Jesus for your salvation, all of your sin is forgiven. It's wiped away. It's gone. And you can begin to worship God in this way. In every bite of food, every piece of clothing that you own, it's worship. We worship God. Let's pray.